Welcome to the Luke Messiah Show. Senator Brandon Creighton absolutely destroyed the Democrat and Educrat argument when it came to school choice and Texas's willingness to support public education. Also, Senator Brian Birdwell finally came out and told a lot of us what we knew, which is that behind the scenes, he just has not been supportive of the immigration legislation that is moving forward in the special session that will actually have Texas step up to secure its own border where Biden has failed us. And lastly, many people call this last session the most pro-Muslim session in Texas history. And I'm going to break down for you why that's the case. And it won't surprise you that it's because of things the Texas House did that the Texas Senate did not endorse. But at a time where we're realizing just how many radical Muslims we have in our country, on our universities, and even in the Texas legislature, this is the time to have this discussion. So let's get to the show. We are in a fourth special session and the Texas Senate has yet again delivered on school choice legislation. And yes, liberal Republicans in the Texas House and Democrats and educrats and teachers unions will continue to lie and say, if you empower parents, you are going to destroy public education. This has two problems with it. One is that it's fundamentally not true. It's usually a problem. Uh, we have school choice programs all across the nation. And when you drive through those states, you don't see crumbling public schools. You don't say, oh, they don't have any public school teachers. They don't have any principals that are driving super fancy cars. They don't have any big public school buildings. No, you see all of those things in states with school choice programs. How? Why? Oh, because the left's attack on empowering parents is literally uh, a, an education gaslight of the state of Texas is what we will call it. So Senator Creighton, when confronted on this issue by Senator Carol Alvarado, a liberal Democrat from Houston, had an excellent reply. And I actually think we're going to start today's show with this clip. I'm not saying we're number 50, but we're at a place where a state this size, we should be doing better. I think we can do better. This is not the way to go. Senator Alvarado, there's not 15 states in America that put 50% or greater of their entire state budget into education initiatives. Texas is one of those states. Over 50% of our $300 plus billion budget is dedicated to education-related priorities. There's not, there's not 12 to 15 states that do that. And you may say, well, you never hear that. You never hear education stakeholders talking about that or the media talking about that. I wonder why. I wonder why that the facts are not promoted. That is just incredible to lay that out on the Senate floor today. And who loses? Institutions win, but kids continue to lose. And so to oppose a framework that is 90% geared towards free or reduced lunch, low income and special needs, I just can't believe anyone would stand up and do that. I can't believe they would do it. And knowing that it's such a small percentage of the total amount of kids that are being served in the state, by all of our public schools, we're talking 40, 50,000 ESAs out of almost 6 million public school kids. And then with, with the public school lift and the ESAs for the most needy and the most vulnerable, why can't we just win together on that? 
just remember that this has nothing to do with supporting public education. Representative Ken King asked uh, in the on the House side had all these educrats, and he said, "Are you prepared to tell Governor Abbott that there's no amount of money he could give y'all to get you on board with this program? He couldn't write you a five billion, a ten billion, a twenty billion dollar check." Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. These educrats want to hold Texas children hostage. It is a major problem. And I'm grateful for people like Senator Creighton who have led on the issue and are willing to articulate the fact that these attacks are founded on complete false assumptions and actually shows just how sinister these individuals are who want this policy to fail. That same night that it was debated, the school choice bill, Senate Bill 4 was also debated. And Senate Bill 4 is a bill that looks like it is finally agreed upon between the House and the Senate, House Bill 4 and Senate Bill 4. This legislation would make it illegal to illegally cross into Texas from a foreign nation. And let me tell you the difference between this bill and the Arizona bill. The Arizona bill that was passed, I guess back in 2010, I think, during Obama's time, that Arizona legislation said that it is illegal to illegally be in our country, in our state. Okay, this is like my non-lawyer description of that bill. But essentially saying, if you're unlawfully present in the United States and you're in Arizona, it's also illegal for you to be illegally present here, okay? And essentially what the courts said, which is also a different Supreme Court at the time, but what those courts said is, no, that's the state trying to enforce immigration law, which is the federal government's authority, so no. Now, Texas is taking a different approach. First of all, you have to understand that the constitutional separation of the federal versus the state also has a clause in it that says when your state is being invaded, you can stop the invasion, right? So states aren't literally, their hands aren't tied behind their back and they're like, well, a million people walked across my country. Uh, the drug cartels have operational control of my border. I guess I'm supposed to just sit back and watch all this happen and provide humanitarian aid and go down there and just help process as many illegals into our country. No, you can actually step up and secure your border. So what Senate Bill 4 and House Bill 4 do is that they say it is illegal in Texas to cross into Texas from a foreign nation illegally. Okay, we have legal ports of entry. We have to have order in this state. And so for you to just be able to walk across the river from Mexico to Texas, this is disorder and chaos, and that is a state crime. And we can actually prosecute you in a state court for committing a state crime. That's what it does. It's a slightly different approach. And it will be challenged in the court system, and it will go to the Supreme Court, and we will have the Supreme Court rule on what Texas can do. The Supreme Court is either gonna tell Texas, yes, you can actually prevent that kind of chaos and mass breaking of a law that you've created, or they're gonna say, nope, as many people as they want can just walk across the Texas border. As long as there's either a weak Republican or a Democrat at the helm, they can open the floodgates and let everybody in. Now, last session, 
And this is something I've told people. I actually, Senator Birdwell, who you're about to hear speak, he was the lone Republican who voted against this bill. Uh, Senator Birdwell and I agree on many issues. There are many issues we find common ground on, and he is somebody who has been a strong voice for conservatives in different policy arenas. But on the issue of immigration, I think he's been wrong for a long time. And last session, behind the scenes, there was just all sorts of people who were saying, Birdwell is not good on this issue. And so what ultimately happened is that the House bill, the House actually compromised and cut a deal with Democrats and kind of weakened their own bill. And then they sent it to the Senate and it got even worse. It got better in some respects and worse in other respects. And so it was just very clear, both chambers did not have a good situation. So they came and the compromise was the deal that House leadership cut with Democrats was out of the bill. And also Senator Birdwell ultimately was not willing to support this policy. And so he was removed as the person who carried this bill. And Senator Charles Perry from Lubbock picked it up. And I'm actually grateful that Senator Birdwell was willing to stand up and say, here's why I have opposed this. And what you're going to hear him articulate is that ultimately he just doesn't think Texas can secure its own border. I think that his argument essentially says we are stuck with millions of people invading our state, whether we want to or not. I think it's a problematic mindset. I'm glad it was not the prevailing mindset in the Texas Senate. And I'm actually going to point out that in the Texas Senate, when you have situations like this, and he articulates this, he says, you know, the presiding officer ultimately can choose other people to carry these different bills. And he's Senator Perry. He's complimentary of Senator Perry. But this is what leadership looks like. Leadership looks like one or two more liberal Republicans on a certain issue. Because again, Senator Burwell is not liberal on every issue. But on this issue, more liberal. Cannot hold up this entire process. And a leader steps in and says, okay, we need to get this thing across the finish line. Let's do what we need to do. And you saw the Republican caucus come together. So I'm grateful that Senator Birdwell articulated this. It's actually a good reminder that leadership matters. And in the Texas Senate, leadership did matter. And they were able to get this through. And also, it's a good reminder that we do have Republicans in the party that really even, I would say they don't know what time it is to the extent that they actually believe that we're just subservient to the federal government and really can't do much. And that kind of mindset is increasingly a very small minority in our party, and that is a good thing. So let's go to this clip. Thank you, Mr. President. Members, let me first express my gratitude to Lieutenant Governor Patrick for the manner in which he has worked with me over the last two weeks on this issue and for trusting me with this policy area since 2014. We have in good faith tried to address an emotional and highly charged issue in a bill I believed was not a violation of my oath nor the U.S. Constitution. I offered such a bill six times before this body and a seventh in committee last week. In his capacity as the presiding officer, he reassigned the bill from me and the Border Security Committee out of respect for the majority view within the Senate Republican Caucus that wanted to pass a bill in recognizing that my view of my oath and constitutional construct of the relationship between the federal government's specified duties and the state's authority was in the minority view. With that in mind, I respect my colleagues' desire to pass a bill to message our concern to our constituents for the continued unacceptable situation this administration foists upon the nation that Texas unduly bears 
and offer my compliments to Senator Perry for taking on a tough mission. Members, let us consider carefully our actions. Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution says the senators and representatives before mentioned and the members of the several state legislatures shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support this Constitution. Emphasis, mind, is added. The oath that we take that says we will support the U.S. Constitution and the laws of this state is prescribed by Article 6 and that we will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. President Washington in his farewell address asked, where is the security for property, for reputation, for life, if the sense of religious obligation deserts the oaths? Even though there are numerous federal officials maliciously violating their oath and the requirement for true faith and allegiance to the same, and I particularly note my belief that the Secretary of Homeland Security and the President himself are in this category, there is no clause in the U.S. Constitution Constitution that says, the wrong I believe we are about to commit allows us to step outside the bounds of our oath and the text of the Constitution. The oath is not an administrative formality of holding office. As President Washington said, it is a sacred obligation. There is not only a separation of powers among the lateral branches of government, the legislative, executive, and judicial. There is also a vertical separation of powers between federal and state government. The Tenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution reads, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. The truth of the matter is that Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution says that the Congress shall have power to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. That clause specifies all power and responsibilities for immigration is delegated to the federal government, Members, that is why all of my attempts to carry this legislation and the bill language therein at the proper federal authority responsible for disposition and deportation of those that we detain. The House has messaged this bill as the strongest border bill, but I believe that belies what is really happening here. For present ease of messaging, we are creating a false expectation of a bill as a solution that is decidedly outside the bounds of the constitutional construct which I have explained. Should the House bring us a bill in the future that is messaged as the strongest law enforcement anti-crime bill, should we pass it, even if it contains elements that vacate the Fourth or Fifth Amendments, as this one vacates the Tenth Amendment and Article One, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution? For the short-term messaging you gain between our two chambers during this election season, we are setting a terrible precedent for the future by invalidating our obedience and faithfulness to our Constitution. President Biden's failure to obey his oath does not compel us to violate ours. Instead, it compels our federal representatives to constrain him and for the electorate to remove him in the coming year. To close, let me return to President Washington's farewell address where he warns of that which we are on the precipice of now doing. He states, If in the opinion of the people the distribution or modification of the constitutional powers be in any particular wrong, let it be corrected by an amendment in the way which the Constitution designates. But let there be no change by usurpation, for through this, in one instance, may be the instrument of good, 
It is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. I believe we should heed the warnings of our nation's first president. Thank you, members, for your time and attention. Mr. President, I move that my remarks be reduced to writing and entered in the journal. Thank you, members. News and analysis on what's happening in Texas. End your day with daily headlines from Texas Scorecard. Every day at 5 p.m., join me, Brandon Waltons, as we recap the biggest stories of the day and talk about why they matter to you. Listen and subscribe to Daily Headlines from Texas Scorecard. And lastly, I want to talk about the most pro-Muslim session in Texas history. We have some incredibly radical Muslims, not only on our university campuses, but actually serving in the halls of the Texas House of Representatives right now. Representatives Lalani and Bajani. And Representative Bajani, Salmon Bajani, is who we will probably talk more about today. But ultimately, these are two representatives who are freshman legislators who came into a Texas House with a speaker who empowers a lot of radicals, a lot of Democrats. And so we're going to learn a little bit about why this session was the most pro-Muslim session in Texas history. And I'm going to start with kind of overviewing for you how I believe Lalani and Bajani went about ensuring that that was the case. Ultimately, what they knew is that this chamber, this Texas House of Representatives, is a chamber where these Republicans want to give Democrats wins. And they were smart about coming in. They basically said, we are going to make the government of Texas celebrate, uplift, and push, and affirm, and endorse the Muslim faith as much as we possibly can. They pushed legislation that would say, uh, you can't take a star test on a Muslim holiday. And then they'd go, well, let's find some other Christian holidays and other holidays to pull them all together. There is this idea that they want to get away from. I would say there is a truth that they want to get away from. And that truth is that America is a Christian nation and Texas is a Christian state. And that doesn't mean we have a state-sanctioned religion. It means that we would not be America or Texas without the Christian faith. And that the only type of society that would flourish as we have is one that was built on Christian truth. If the founding fathers were all Muslim, we would not have America today. That is true. So now they say, well, let's create a new Texas where the Muslim faith and the Christian faith are one in the same. So how are they going to do that? They're going to push legislation. Legislation that says no star test on Muslim holidays. Good example. Uh, legislation that says, hey, we don't have a problem with our imams giving wedding ceremonies, but you know what? Let's push something anyways. Let's push something that says, makes it very, very crystal clear that Muslim imams can conduct wedding ceremonies. So he files House Bill 1884, Salman Bajani. And this bill, by the way, Remember that episode I did where I talked about 48 conservative bills that died in the Texas House? Go back 
and either watch that, listen to it, or read it because it's on Texas Scorecard. 48 conservative bills that died in the Texas House. Some of those are protecting detransitioners. One of them said, we're going to put the Ten Commandments up in every classroom in Texas. That didn't get voted on. You know what did get voted on? House Bill 1884. Sam Abajani's bill that he built and designed to say, I want to have imams in Texas law as people who can conduct wedding ceremonies. Why? Because I want to have the government of Texas uplift and promote and solidify and encourage and endorse the Muslim faith. 1884. He files this bill and it's him and John Lujan, Joe Moody, James Tallarico, and Jeff Leach are the joint authors. John Lujan and Jeff Leach, of course, are Republicans and very close to Dade Phelan. And then you look and there's just a ton of different Democrats signed on as co-authors. This was something that the Democrat caucus clearly had as a priority. Here's what you need to understand. So Sam Abajani comes in as one of the first Muslims. I think he was the, the, he and Lalani were the two first Muslim, open Muslim state representatives in Texas. And while Nate Schatzlein and Brian Harrison and Tony Tinderholt and Steve Toth and all these other conservatives are struggling to actually pass conservative policies that they're trying to push, Bajani passes 10 bills in his freshman year. Then comes resolutions where the Texas House decided to, again, further endorse the Muslim faith more than they ever have. Ramadan resolution, celebrating Ramadan. And if you've been, if you've served any in the military, you talk to anybody who served overseas, they'll tell you that Ramadan was always the most violent month for anybody who spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan. Eid al-Fitr, another one commemorating more Muslim holidays. In fact, Gene Wu tweeted out during the session, he said, a historic moment. The first ever Ramadan iftar at the Texas State Capitol hosted by Representative Dr. Lalani. And there, in this picture, is none other than Speaker Dade Phelan. He's the only Republican in the picture. He's there to participate, to celebrate, to endorse, to uplift the Muslim faith. So what is Sam Bajani doing now? Well, he sent a letter to Joe Biden. He's mad at Joe Biden because Joe Biden will not call for a ceasefire. Joe Biden will not tell Israel, hey, they can shoot at you. You can't shoot back. Joe Biden is actually smart enough to go, I'm not pushing for a ceasefire right now. That is not in my best interest. But Sam Abajani is jumping in. And by the way, you'd think, man, like this guy is basically aligned with these radical Muslims on college campuses right now. So is that like negatively affecting his standing in the Texas House? No, these are the type of people that Speaker Dade Phelan has said, Let's make him influential. 
Let's help him pass as many bills as possible. His lieutenants, Jeff Leach, hey, I'd love to sign on to your legislation. I'd love to move this stuff forward. It doesn't matter. Texas Values, you know, literally testified against that legislation. I'm grateful that they did. While Jeff Leach and John Lujan are signing on as joint authors of the bill. So when I talk to you about trying to fight the drift, the leftward drift in our state, this is one of those areas. Sam and Bajani put a big letter together signed by a bunch of his Democrat colleagues calling um, on our governor to condemn Islamophobia. It's truly remarkable to see the type of Democrats that Dade Feeling continues to try to promote, empower, clear the way for. If Sam Bajani was the first ever state senator and filed all these bills, I can tell you, they wouldn't go anywhere. Because there's a totally different chamber in the Texas Senate than in the Texas House. These bill, the bill that he passed, went to the Senate, died in the Senate. So remember, I, I told you, these 48 conservative bills, almost all of them passed the Senate, died in the Texas House. These are the type of bills, House Bill 1884, that passed the House and died in the Senate. I don't think it is a good thing that the Texas House of Representatives had the most pro-Muslim session in Texas history. I actually think it's reflective. It's just one other thing that reflects on the problematic leadership in the lower chamber. And it's one other thing that needs to change. I hope you'll have a great week. May God bless you. And may God bless Texas. Thank you for listening to The Luke Macias Show. To find out more information about what's going on here in Texas, visit texasscorecard.com.